He is risen. Amen. Well, what an exciting morning to be joined together uh, this Easter Sunday. What an exciting time for me to be here as well. This is my first Easter Sunday uh, here at First Pres, and so super exciting time uh, for me and hopefully for y'all as well. Uh, so many wonderful faces and so many new faces that I see as well. Welcome here with us and for worshiping with us. Actually, over the past couple of weeks, we've been working through the passion narrative. That is, those final moments and events leading up to Jesus' death on the cross and then finally looking forward to the resurrection. And we actually started our, our passion series by actually looking at the plot to kill Jesus and how these religious authorities so desirous to hold on to their power and their prominence to not let go of the control, the religious control that they had of the day, that, that they would actually rather kill a man than lose their authority and power. And we actually kind of looked how in our own hearts there are these moments in our lives where we too don't want to give up the power and control in our life that God has maybe asked for us to relinquish to him. And how there are these moments in our lives where we act just like those religious elite. And then last week we looked at the triumphal entry as part of our Palm Sunday service. We actually read the scripture and we had this realization that Christ did not come as was expected. You see, the people expected Christ to come as this warrior king as this king that would come and overthrow the Roman authority, overthrow their oppressors, that they would no longer be tied to the enslavement. And yet, Jesus came instead on a donkey. And he rode into town, not as one who would conquer a kingdom, but who would usher in his own spiritual kingdom. And ultimately, Look to the cross to die for many. And so this past week, we actually had a Maundy Thursday service where we celebrated the Last Supper, where we recognized that Jesus took the time with his disciples to have one last meal with them. But he did something different in that, in that moment with them that had not been done before. He shared that the bread they broke would be his body and that the blood and the wine that they drank, that cup that they had would be his blood. And that his broken body and that his shed blood would be a sign to us that he did it for us. That his body was broken for us and that his blood would be shed for us and for our sins. And then finally, Good Friday came. And we recognized that all that had been leading up to this triumphal moment actually had a pause. As their beloved friend was nailed to the cross and gave up his life. And then there was silence. A Saturday full of nothing. And that's where we find ourselves in our passage today from Luke 24, 1 through 12. 
Saturday has ended, and the beginning of the week has come. And so we read from the passage, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, Lord, today receive your glory. If there is any day that I should be made lower than any other it is this day. So that Christ, you would be lifted high in your full glory and majesty to be seen that the work of the cross did not end with death, but culminated in resurrection. Jesus, that you rose from the grave. You put death in its place. And you said, life shall be given. Lord, today let us see what it is that you have for us in these moments. Amen. You see, last week we actually talked about unexpected, the unexpecteds, actually, because I don't like to think of them as a single moment or a single event in time, but it's something that just affects your life so deeply that you have this unexpected, and you've got to deal with it, you've got to relate to it somehow. But in addition to those unexpecteds in our life, we also have what I like to think of defining moments and events. These things that shape us for the rest of our lives. And we all have them. We all have these defining things that have happened in our life where we are here today, we find ourselves in this place and in this space we find ourselves having lived our lives and in our careers and in our families because of defining moments, because of these moments in our life that hit us and we're like, this is changing the trajectory of the way that my life is going. This changes everything, these defining moments. And sometimes they're really good and sometimes they can be bad. Sometimes they bring joy in our life, and sometimes they bring sorrow, and yet they still define who we are and where we are going, and how we ended up in this place today. And some even seem very, very small and insignificant, and yet can have 
massive impact. One of those, actually for me, um, you see, my mom, when I was 12 years old, she went back to work and started working for Scholastic Book Fairs, uh, and, which was always exciting because it meant I got a lot of uh, what I thought were free books. Uh, it just meant very discounted books. Um, but I got a lot of free books, ended up getting all the Harry Potter series, and it was fantastic, super thrilled. But there was this one book that she came home with one day, and I didn't necessarily ask for it, but it was a book um, describing how to do hypertext markup language, um, which, you know, that sounds really nerdy in a terminology, but it's HTML for short, uh, or also it's essentially web coding. How to create websites through code. It was a very easy little book that, that you know, had gotten it told, told you how to create your first website, you know, just HTML and hello world. It was the basics. But you see, that small little book was a defining moment for me. I remember it well because I remember getting that book and started pouring over it and learning how to teach myself how to code and design websites. And it was defining because everything in me from that point forward wanted a career that led to website design. I wanted to be a part of this fascinating new world that was on the internet. I wanted to do anything that I could to be a part of it. And so I started learning all the language that was in that book. And then I started doing further research and learning more and more and more. Something small but so defining. And in each of our lives... We definitely have those defining moments. We know for a fact that maybe we were given something small, but it led to a career change. Or it led to a passion for a hobby that you still do. Maybe it was a life-altering diagnosis that changed the way that you had to relate to people. Change the way that you relate to church. COVID was a life-altering moment that changed the way that we are to relate to the community that we call the body of Christ. We each have these defining moments. But today, today in particular, we get to talk about the most defining moment in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus. It is this defining moment and event that our passage describes today. And you see, leading up to this passage in chapter 24, we actually are in chapter 23. It's after Jesus' betrayal. And he ends up on trial before Pontius Pilate. You see, in the span of 24 hours, Jesus is tried, Jesus is sentenced, Jesus is crucified, Jesus dies and is buried. In 24 hours. That seems unimaginable. That the, these events could take place so quickly from the moment that Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples and said... Even today, one of you will betray me. 
And all the disciples start questioning themselves, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray the Lord? In the midst of that 24 hours, we hear the cries of the people say, crucify, crucify. We want Barabbas. We want a murderer to go free over Jesus who's done nothing. And then we also hear the words of Christ as He's crucified. In between the two robbers, He looks at one of them and says, you will be with me today in paradise. And we also hear, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. All within 24 hours, Jesus goes from breaking bread with His disciples to dead on a cross. I've had these moments in my life where it just seems like a never-ending day, where it goes on and on and on and on, and it just seems like it's never going to come to an end. But I cannot imagine how this many events took place in 24 hours and how long it must have seemed, not just for Jesus, but for His disciples, for His apostles, for every follower that had to bear witness to what was going on. Even to Peter, in the midst of denying Jesus three times, it must have seemed like an eternity to that, from the moment that he denied him to the moment that he hung on the cross, to the moment that he breathed his last breath. And so after his last breath, Jesus was buried. We know from the Gospel of John that he was buried in the tomb of one named Joseph of Arimathea. But it was the women who prepared the body and took him there. And after laying Jesus in the tomb and rolling the stone into place, They had to go back and prepare the spices and the ointments that would be applied to his body later. But here's the thing. The very end of Luke 23 tells us, but they had to wait. Because the Sabbath had arrived. I can't imagine the turmoil and mourning in their hearts knowing that all they wanted to do was prepare the body of Jesus for his burial, and yet, after preparing the spices, they had to be obedient and faithful in the midst of the tragedy, not knowing what all was about to transpire. And so, a day passes, and then we finally enter our passage for today, and I love how it began. begins. It says, but. But, as if Every bit of contrast to them waiting, but they didn't have to wait anymore. They were obedient to the law. They were obedient to Sabbath. They took their time. They didn't work, but the moment that they could, they went out. And it said that they, when they arrived, they arrived in the early morning. 
They couldn't wait to get started. And so they went. But when they had arrived, the stone to the tomb had already been moved. I can't imagine at that moment what would have been racing through their minds approaching the tomb and then seeing from a distance that the stone had already been rolled away. All they saw in the distance was the darkness of an empty tomb. And they were looking ahead and they're like, the stone's been rolled away. What's, been, what's going on? Why is this so? Who has done this thing? Why is the stone already out of place? In that moment, confusion and fear probably filled them. I would dare say one of those gut drop moments. Have you ever had one of those gut drop moments where you just get some news and you just feel like everything falls out of you? It's usually in the worst moments in our life when we hear just excruciating news. And yet this had to be the feeling that they had as they got up to the tomb And it wasn't that the stone was rolled away, but it says that they do not find the body of the Lord Jesus. His body is gone. They weren't just full of fear, but they were perplexed. The confusion and bewilderment of what could have just happened. Where is he? Where did he go? Where is his body? Who stole him from us? Who would do such a thing? Why has this happened? Why? See, oftentimes we have questions to the things that we don't understand. So many questions. Why? Why is this happening? We ask question after question after question, trying to figure out what it is that these certain things mean, that these events that took place, even good things, sometimes we question, why is this happening? At least for me, I can tell you that there's Very few days that go by that I don't ask myself, Lord, why have you blessed me to be in this church? Why have you chosen me to get to be with these people, these loving, caring, supporting people? I don't understand. Though it is good, I can't comprehend it. I don't understand the meaning Of his ways. And yet Isaiah even told us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are so beyond our comprehension sometimes that we can ask the questions. He's not afraid of the question why. We might not always get an answer. But we have to hold true that he knows. And so in the middle of their bewilderment, two angels appear by them. 
They just stand by them. I can't imagine in that moment either if I was just standing there in, in my fear and in my confusion, in my hurt, that the one that I had loved, that who had just died, that I'd been mourning, that I came to anoint his body for his burial, and it was missing, and then just these two beings appear out of nowhere. I would probably scream very loud. Oh, how they would have been startled. In fact, I love how the Gospel of John puts this. He says that uh, Peter and John had run to look at the tomb, and they looked in the tomb, and there was nothing there but the, the, but the cloths, but the linen cloths that were on Jesus. And then when Mary Magdalene looks in, there's the two angels. The other disciples didn't get to see them. But here's Mary and these women, and they see the angels there, and this is where we get to our most defining moment. You see, I believe that these angels give the most profound statement found in all of Scripture. They say to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. There are no more defining or significant words in all of human history. In the midst of the worst 24 hours of their lives, and then heading into another 24 hours of silence and having to wait, and then they show up at the tomb, having all this fear and doubt and confusion, and then two angels of the Lord appear before them and say, why are you looking for not a dead man, but a living one where you put dead people? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. They had to watch Jesus go through his trial, go through his sentencing, go through his crucifixion, his death and his burial, just to land on this day three days later. That he is not here, he is risen. And then these angels start to recount the scripture to these women, begins to tell them, do you not remember these things that Jesus told you? Can you remember when Jesus said that I will tear down this temple and in three days it will be raised again? Do you not remember when he said, I must die, but I am going to my Father? Do you not remember? And then it all starts to click into place. As they stand before this empty tomb, they realize his body wasn't taken. He is risen. And these women, it was women that received this testimony, that received this good news. And this is significant. And let me tell you, their voices during this time would have been considered unreliable witnesses. They weren't even allowed to sit in court because their voices weren't considered reliable in the slightest. Their testimony wouldn't have counted. It wouldn't have mattered. It doesn't matter what they saw or what they heard. They would have been silenced. If you want proof that the resurrection is real, it's that the gospel writers included the testimony of women as the first testimony of Jesus. 
being raised from the dead. And it is these women that are commissioned by these messengers of God to go and tell what they have seen and what they have heard. So there can be no doubt that their testimony is true. And so upon hearing these things, the gospel tells us that they returned to the apostles to tell them. I can only imagine that they were sprinting. They were running as fast as they could to get to the disciples and to all the others and let them know he is risen. Jesus is alive. He told us that he would not stay dead, and he did it. You see, here's the thing. When we hear good news, we can't help but share good news. I remember the moment that I got the call where y'all asked me to be your pastor. Oh, it was such a good moment. In fact, the way that it was done was with like these little signs and each person kind of put them up and it said, will you be our pastor? That was good news for me. And the first thing I did is I called my mom and then I called Corinne. And then I called my closest friends and let them know, y'all, everything we've been praying for, it's here. And the women, everything that they had desired, all that they had heard over those three years spent with Jesus saying, he's going to rise. And they get there. And it happened. He rose from the dead. But what did I tell you? They all thought it was an idle tale. Because their voices couldn't be trusted. But they shared the greatest news in all of history. There is no news like this news. Except one. In verse 12. We have another but. In contrast to the disciples not believing what these women had to say, there was one that said, but Peter, he heard what they had to say and he bolted. Not because he didn't believe, but because he wanted to see for himself. He had to go for himself. He had to know with his own eyes, that the tomb was empty. This is the good news of our entire faith. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We can point all day to his death, but if we don't also celebrate his resurrection, we're missing it all. We have to return year after year because this is the most important and most defining moment in all of history. Quite literally, because Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 18 and 19, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
He's saying, if we believe that Christ is who He says He is and that God is real, if we believe that and it's not true, then we should be pitied above all other people. It means everything we do, every Sunday that we worship, every weekday Bible study, every celebration and holiday, every fellowship gathering, every worship song and every prayer would be completely meaningless. I don't say this to get your heart heavy. But I say it because the truth is that Paul follows it with verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The evidence, the proof that everything we believe is real hinges on one thing, that Christ rose from the dead, that Jesus is alive. And so we celebrate, He is not here, but He is risen. There's no greater news, nothing more defining. And so simply, what I want to say, what I want to leave with you right now, today, in this moment, is that if the most defining moment in all of history is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then that must mean He is who He said He was. And if that is true, then the most defining moment in your life would be, to would be to believe it. I remember the day I said yes to Jesus like it was yesterday. I told you how I received a small book that was a defining moment in my life, that I wanted a career in web design. I was determined I was going to work on a graphic arts degree. I was going to know how to design websites and code websites. I wanted to do it all. But that defining moment got superseded by another one. It was the day that I accepted Christ into my life. Knowing full well that every moment up to that moment was leading to a million moments more because the trajectory of my life changed. Because I believed that the resurrection was true, that Jesus was who He said He was, I stand here today. And so, my question for you is have you had the most life-changing and defining moment of knowing Jesus in your life? And if you have not, my encouragement to you today is to say yes. I believe that Jesus is who He said He was. That while He walked this earth and proclaimed the kingdom of God, that what He said was that He came, that He might be a light to men, and that He would go to the cross and die for men. That their sins would be forgiven and that they would have eternal life. Though you would recognize Jesus rose from the dead. And He is God. 
And if you have had this life-changing moment, this defining realization of the resurrection, then I ask you to be like the women who ran to share the good news of Jesus. That even at risk of being told that their voice was unreliable, at the risk of being unheard, at the risk of being rejected, the women went to tell the greatest news that could ever be shared. Just as you receive good news in your life and want to tell people, you have received the greatest news in Jesus, so you should run to tell people. The women at the tomb risked it all and ended up making history as the first to actually share the good news of Jesus' resurrection. It's my hope and my prayer that we too will risk as they risk, run as they run, and be excited as they were to see and to hear. He is not here, but He is risen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are alive. You are not dead, but you are alive. You are the resurrected Christ, the Son of God, the Word incarnate. And you came that our sins might be forgiven and that we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray that we hear these words today and we are moved, Lord, to either accept you and receive you or to know this good news and share it with others. That we would go forth as the people of God, knowing God, knowing Jesus, and telling everyone about who you are. And so, Lord, let us be a cloud of witnesses today. That even in the midst of not knowing your ways or understanding the way you understand, you have called us forth and for that. We are grateful. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.